In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. My dear faithful, the word family is a collective noun. And what this means is that the word represents a group of entities, but that those entities are not united of themselves. Their unity comes from outside of themselves. They are collected together. Those entities are collected together. And we give this name to this, this uh, group that is collected. In the case of the family, it's a question of a unity of persons. There's a union of one man, one woman, and their children. And this unity does not really ultimately come from themselves. It comes from God. God has established the nature of things. And he made the nature of men and women such that they are meant to come together and form a single unit. And from their union, fruits will be produced. That's in the very law of nature as God has made it. And really, there's no other such union possible in nature. Nature has only one way of humans forming a family because it's God who has made nature and God has decided that he will only confer upon nature this one way. There's no other way to do it. And so any other unions that are formed by human beings just on their own steam, as it were, and which they call family, are really only false imitations of family. They're not really families because they're not natural. They are unnatural. Such people are really trying to usurp the power which God alone has over nature. So if God has established the union of a man and a woman as something that is part of nature, then it's a fact that the natures of men and women are already pointing in the direction of family unity. Men and women tend to want to come together as a family, to form a family. And it's really only something higher or something lower that can overcome that natural tendency that's embedded by God in every man and on, uh, every woman. It's either uh, someone might want to serve a higher calling to give their life to God, or they might want to serve something lower to give themselves over to a, a, a wholly uh, autonomous life um, for selfish reasons. So really all men and women have to do is correspond with the way that God has created them. In other words, they're not really the ones who have to make family unity. Rather, they just have to cooperate with the unity towards which they already inclined by the design of God. So today in this sermon, I would like to consider what it means to cooperate with this design of God, with God's design for the family according to our natures as human beings. So to do this, we really have to first consider the reason for God designing the family. We know that God does everything in nature perfectly. He's all wise. He's all powerful. He doesn't make mistakes. And when a thing is made perfectly, then every single aspect of the thing serves the purpose for which the thing was made. That's the very definition of perfect engineering. If you make a perfect car, then every single part of that car at all times 
is working for the purpose of the car, which is transportation, which is to get a person from point A to point B. And there's never a point at which any of the parts are working for something else. That would be a car with maximum efficiency. So the purpose of the car is transportation, and at every time, every single part is working towards that purpose, to accomplish that purpose. So what I'm going to say is that, is that that's effectively the way that God has designed men and women. He's designed them to come together perfectly, seamlessly, to form a family and accomplish the purposes of the family. You know, there's a twofold purpose for the family. First of all, the procreation and the education of children, raising children to populate heaven. Secondly, the mutual support of the husband and the wife. And as I say, what we can say is that God made men and women perfectly fitted to come together to accomplish these two ends. How did he do so? By this design of men and women. He's designed them to have certain aspects, and every single one of those aspects that belong to men and women are fitted for forming a family, are fitted for rearing children, are fitted for providing mutual support to one another. As we all know, men and women are extremely different. Very, very different. They have different bodies, they have different brains, they have different interests, they have very different ways of looking at reality. But what I'm trying to point out is that these differences are not exclusive one of another. They don't cancel one another out. These differences are rather complementary. They're meant to come together to provide uh, some greater third thing than the, the two individuals of themselves could provide. The, the differences are meant to form that seamless whole, the family unit as God has designed it. So in God's design, family has two parts, man and woman. And he's conferred upon man certain characteristics, and he's conferred upon woman certain characteristics. And we have words that describe the sort of ensemble of characteristics of a man and those of a woman. We refer to the characteristics of, of the man using the words husband and father. And we refer to the characteristics of the woman using the words wife and mother. And these, these words are meant to, to indicate the respective roles that the two parts of marriage, uh, of, of family, play in the family unit. So when a man and a woman unite themselves in marriage, all they really have to do in order to make a good family is to live up to the roles that God has given them. They don't have to invent family. They don't have to design, engineer family. They just have to do what they're made to do by God, and everything works out fine. When men live up to all that they are meant to be as men, and women live up to all that they are meant to be as women, then the result is a happy and a successful family because God does not make mistakes. He makes everything perfectly. Now all this makes it seem like forming a successful family is so easy, you know, nothing to it. And it's especially jarring coming from a priest. And the reason for this is that everything, absolutely everything, is easy in theory and difficult in practice. 
And what I've been talking about is the theory. And now we need to talk about the practice. In practice, it is difficult because it requires a great amount of virtue. In fact, we may say that there's one thing that's absolutely necessary to make a family successful, and that one thing is quite often absent. It's quite often not there. It's mentioned by St. Paul in today's epistle, and if you're wondering why this passage from his epistle to the Colossians is appearing in today's Mass, it's because he provides a picture of the virtues of a good family, and especially that one thing that I say is the most important thing, the main glue that holds marriages together, and that glue is charity, which St. Paul calls a bond, or even more literally, a chain. Charity is the chain of perfection. It confines people to one another in such a way that they find it difficult to be apart. It confines them together in such a way that they become more perfect in one another's presence. This is the picture of a marriage that's working well. Husband and wife sanctify one another. They lead them, one another towards higher things. I mentioned that God designed men and women perfectly with all of their differences to form a family and fulfill the goals of family and that the secondary goal is the mutual support of husband and wife. They are meant to lead one another to perfection, and they accomplish this primarily by means of charity. So, um, yet, at the same time, there is this difficulty that men and women are very, very different. And really, there's two possibilities that can come from this difference between men and women when, when they come together and they have these, these great differences, what's going to happen in their marriage? Really one of two things are going to happen. Either their differences will lead them to come together or their differences will rip them apart. One or the other. And that's really where the effort of the husband and the wife must come in. They must work very hard to come together and not to be ripped apart by their differences. If their differences make them come together, they will become happy and holy because they will have practiced charity on a daily basis. And we may say it's, it's sort of the, the, the grace of their state of life. This is the execution of the design of God. God has put these differences there and he's made men and women uh, inclined towards forming a family and then they're in this situation where they have this community life on a daily basis and they're faced with their own differences and if they make the marriage work what will happen is they will sacrifice themselves in order to unite with their spouse um, sort of transcend these differences and unite together couple their strengths inst instead of emphasizing their, their weaknesses. And that requires them to practice a virtue that's much greater than they would have practiced if they had remained alone. This is how marriage sanctifies the couple. It demands of them a greater charity 
in their life than if they had remained alone. And when they are less selfish over time by the practice of this charity in marriage, they are happier. And when they practice this charity for the love of God, they are holier. And this is marriage running with great efficiency according to the design of God. Ultimately, it is holiness that is the greatest bond possible for a marriage. And this is why the holy family is placed before you today as your model and why the church gives you, especially uh, in the 20th century the, the, when this feast began, when, when families were starting to crumble, this feast is given to you by the church to propose to you a model for your marriage and for your family. The holiness of Jesus, Mary, and Joseph is your ideal for a successful family. Holiness is definitely not about not having differences. It's not about eliminating differences. There were differences in the Holy Family. There were misunderstandings in the Holy Family. The words, do not understand, appear in today's Gospel, in, or even highlighted in today's Gospels. So, only the differences, if you notice, in today's Gospel are even greater than the differences between, the differences between a man and a woman. It's the differences between a creature and her Creator. It's an even greater difference. Yet these differences are overcome. The Creator leaves His mother and foster father without them knowing about it. And when the mother and the foster father find Him, there's this typical family scene of incomprehension. Our Lady is hurt. She asks our Lord why He has left them without telling them. And, and what, if we were just reading a, a normal story, what we would expect to happen next is what is unfortunately so familiar in so many families. You expect escalation. You expect anger. You expect the creating of a scene. You expect the flaring of the passions. You expect shouting, injurious words, even at times physical violence. But of course, this is not what happens with the Holy Family. None of this happens None of this even starts to happen in this scene. What we are given is not a scene of anger, but one of charity. Everyone keeps his role in this scene. Our Lady keeps her roles of being a mother and a creature. And our Lord keeps his roles of being a God and a son. Our Lady as creature, she knows that what our Lord has done is good. This is, this is absolutely true in her mind. And so she cannot really find fault with him. As mother, she asks him to return back with him. She knows she has this right to ask for his return. So our Lord, meanwhile, he keeps his roles as God and as son. As God, he does not explain himself further. He knows he does not have to justify further what he's done but he leaves Our Lady to ponder over his words in her heart. And the Gospel says that that is what she does. As son, he obeys his mother, going back with her to Nazareth and being subject to her. And in the end, everyone is happy and holy. And if you want to see a sort of rerun of the same thing, you fast forward 18 years later and you read the story of the wedding feast of Cana. And it's exactly the same thing, because nothing has changed 
of the charity of the Holy Family. So, these roles that, are given, that were given by God to Jesus, Mary, and Joseph were played by them exceptionally well, heroically well. And it belongs to you, husbands and fathers, uh, wives and mothers, to play the role that God has given you. And these roles are especially made clear by St. Paul. Today we have this epistle um, in, of Colossians, and the, the epistle stops, and immediately after uh, the, the words of today's epistle, there's some additional words that really indicate the essence of what it means to play these roles of wife and husband, of mother and father. Wives, be subject to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter to them. I just want to emphasize, in order to make these roles clear, I just want to emphasize to some aspects of the roles of, of husbands and, and faults they tend to, to fall into as, as opposed to the wives, uh, the faults that they tend to, to fall into in order to hopefully identify some tendencies that might lead a family to break down and also some positive aspects that would help build a family up. So men typically have two problems. Men are very typically selfish and lazy. They are selfish. They often have a pleasure problem. Men are much more addicted to pleasure and their own entertainment habitually than women are. They are often seeking their own amusement in this life. And to the degree that they are, this leads them to be angry, tyrannical, and bitter. They visualize their wife and children as their servants who are there really to serve their own purposes. When, of course, a husband must not use his wife and children for his own purposes, but he must fulfill in them the purposes of God. He must achieve God's purpose for the family. He must not seek his own purpose. To do this, he must not be lazy. Men must not be deadbeats. Men have this affection for doing things that are entirely meaningless and for spending hours upon hours doing meaningless things. The more meaningless, the better. Men love to do nothing. It's a fact. Husbands and fathers must not waste their time. They must not waste their family's time. They have a role to fulfill, and they have to get on with that role. They have to be sacrificial. They have to sacrifice their appetite for pleasure and entertainment to something much greater than that. They have to get off their backside and play their role. And there's really two great roles of a loving father to be to fulfill this injunction of St. Paul to love. First of all, paying attention. In order to be a good husband and father, you've got to waste time with not your amusements, but your family. You've got to spend time with your wife. You've got to provide her companionship. You have to be affectionate 
and kind to her. That is the essence of loving your wife. It's the job of the husband to form a loving bond with the members of his household, and he does that by spending time with them. Secondly, the man has to be a leader. He has to take responsibility for his family. He has to be dutiful. He has to work hard at his job. He has to be an example for the practice of virtue and religion. He has to be the strong focal point around which all the rest of the family revolves. He has to lead primarily by his example. As for the women and the wives, they must not fall into the fault of being petty, of harping on little things, of being obsessive, micromanaging, anxious, constantly speaking about their worries. They must be willing to uh, yield in the small things. They must not become over-preoccupied. Secondly, they must not be willful. Women can tend to be very unreasonable. They want what they want without having any reason for wanting what they want, and they won't give up on that, even though it's not reasonable. They must not be unpredictable, moody. They must be willing to be flexible, to give up on what they want in order to serve the common good, not to be so fixed on these petty things that, that, that have captured their fancy so as not to give up on them when clearly it serves the interests of the family. Rather, they must have two characteristics. First of all, they have to be patient. And by this I say uh, especially this willingness to be flexible, to yield when there's a question of differences, willing to bear with the faults of the husband, willing to bear with the fact that the husband wastes time, seeking to excuse the husband. It's very beautiful when I see wives seeking to excuse their husbands. They realize that their, their husband is not everything he could be, but they're not looking to find fault with him, they're looking to excuse him. This is a very virtuous practice on the part of the wife. Secondly, they have to be happy. They have to be cheerful and pleasant. They must seek to please their husbands, seek to encourage him in the good, in the best way, much more by their disposition than by their words, not by continually going to him with the same request, but rather by creating an environment in the home that is an environment of happiness, that the husband loves to be at home. He loves to be with his wife and children because it is a happy place. The, the, the woman has created a happy place in her home. So my dear faithful, really there's no excuse for not having a happy and a holy family. God has given men and women all of the resources that they need to have a happy family and more than that. He's implanted in their nature this desire to form the unity of the family. He's provided men and women these complementary roles such that all they have to do is fulfill those roles and they will have a successful family. He, has, he himself has become incarnate in order to embody for you 
the model of a family. He himself has formed, as the God-man, a family in order to show you how it's done, how to have a successful family. He shows you what to imitate and follow. He's raised your union to the level of a sacrament such that Catholic couples receive the special supernatural graces on a daily basis to help them accomplish their duty of state and lead one another to happiness. But for all this to happen, for, for you to fulfill these roles, you have to have the will to cooperate with the grace and the plan of God. Husbands and wives must have the will to be of one heart and one soul, to be devoted to one another, to serve one another, to subject their individual interests to the common good of the family. They must have it as their heart's desire, the success of their family, the natural success and the supernatural success, the happiness and the holiness. So on this beautiful feast day of the Holy Family, let us ask Jesus, Mary, and Joseph to fill you with their spirit so that you may have a truly happy and holy family according to the model that's been given you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.